Welcome to the Success Road Podcast. This is the podcast where we meet at the intersection of your life to take decisive action. We cover topics related to productivity and building habits to help you reach higher levels of success. My name is Joshua Rivers from podcastguymedia.com and I'm taking you on this journey today. Now, part of looking at productivity is being able to focus and then be able to get into deep work. Now, a few episodes ago, I mentioned the book Deep Work by Cal Newport as a book and a topic that I'd like to get deeper into. Kind of a pun there to get deep into deep work. But anyway, today I have the privilege of being able to speak with Lee Chambers, who is a life coach and probably several other things uh, as well. And so he's here to be able to talk with us about this topic, as well as possibly a couple other things as far as helping us be able to get a better grip on our productivity and getting a hold of life in general. And so, Lee, I'd like to welcome you to the podcast today. Great to be on today, Joshua. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So why don't you just go ahead and start us off by, first of all, letting us know just a little bit about what your perspective is in relation to deep work versus shallow work and how that, maybe how you got into um, delving into this yourself. Yeah, so a big part of my work as an environmental psychologist and wellbeing consultant within business is looking at how we attach to tasks, how we then carry them out, and really looking at the intersection of employee wellbeing with employee productivity and performance. In today's society, where we have so many different things vying for our attention, that real intensibility to actually follow our biological rhythms and work deeply for periods and then disconnect is becoming more and more difficult to do so. We've got we've got an attention economy that's worth billions of pounds that they get paid by dragging us away from our own thoughts and feelings, removing our boredom and removing really in so many ways our ability to focus on one specific task and carry that out to a really high peak performance level for a long period. And it's almost become the, to the point where now it's just sports people who do that, who spend 90 minutes playing a sport so intensely. And for your average worker, It's like, well, I have so many different things to do. I couldn't possibly just work really deeply on one task. So I've got emails pinging here and notifications here. And in so many ways, it's for me as part of my consultancy in helping businesses become more conscious, more productive, and really more purposeful is to actually look at employees' connection to work, their focus, their attention, the concentration, and how companies can actually utilize that by in some ways, having their employees working less, but doing more. Yeah, yeah, I really love this topic. And so as we look at trying to get into deep work, I know you do kind of delve into psychology. You dive into some of the psychology behind some of this. And I, I read some of this on your website. And so can you share a little bit more about that and how it's a workout for your neurons? Yeah, so in, in so many ways, people are starting to understand that when you say, for example, learn to ride a bike, when you first get on, you're engaging numerous different parts of your brain. You're having to balance. You're having to visualize the path that you're going. You're having to pedal and you're having to steer. So there's lots of different elements, which is why it's 
difficult for someone to a young child to get on a bike and suddenly ride off because you've got to develop those areas and again as those neurons fire and those synapses connect many people know and start to understand about myelin how effectively to put it in a simple context it's the muscles of your brain in the same way that you go to the gym and if you continually work your muscles they'll grow myelin works the same way in your mind and it's that practicing so the big thing around deep work is to be able to go and expect to do it without practicing is is simply not possible because you actually have to practice to get that level of concentration, that level of focus, and you have to build that muscle up so it doesn't fatigue as easily, so it's actually bigger and has more capacity, and that's how you become more powerful with it. And the psychological aspects are considerable because we've got to look at the reality of the society that we're in because many things are built with psychological hooks that really dig deep into our evolutionary mindset the way that we work to actually pull us away from the things that we're trying to do and pull us onto someone else's agenda whether it be a negative news story a social media feed the latest app games marketing all designed with manipulating our behaviors in mind if they've got our attention then there's a chance they'll be able to change our behavior in the direction they're looking to and There's a massive freedom in working gradually, incrementally to get that freedom back. And in so many ways, that is fragmented until we start practicing. And the more we practice, we start to then develop that skill. It also requires you to then look and start to think, how can I make it easier to work more deeply? That requires effort from your end, scheduling, environmental design, making sure your communication is clear with the people who may possibly distract you and actually setting those boundaries, really bright lines saying, look, now notifications are off, email is closed, anything that's going to distract me from this period of work, it's not here. And that actually takes a big step to make that decision. And yet the root of the word decision is to cut off other options. So you're saying this 60 minutes, this 90 minute period, I'm going to do this. This is all I'm going to do. Because um, again, and we'll probably talk about this a little bit later, but we literally go from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing. The attention residue builds up over the day. We're left with the lingering tasks at the back of our mind, having to cognitively switch to different rule sets for different tasks. It leaves you so tired by the end of the day that you're struggling to recover the next day to do any deep work. So it really starts to become a process of you becoming aware, understanding, and starting to implement these things in your life because we do live on rhythms. 98% of our DNA runs off our circadian rhythmicity and our ultradian rhythmicity. And therefore, really, a massive part of being a good human is listening to you, listening to your body's rhythms. Okay, so, so how does somebody actually get started with this? Because if you're looking at somebody and they've never invested any time or effort into doing deep work, how can somebody be able to take those first steps or whatever? So really, in many ways, it starts with very small steps. 
So we can't expect like riding a bike just to suddenly jump into being this amazing deep worker and suddenly blasting our productivity beyond anything we've ever achieved before. It really starts with the simple habit that builds you, builds your focus, but also builds your momentum into working deeply. And it takes that real decision in some ways to design your life around that. So you're really looking at starting to build routines, rituals, and that quite often starts with a time when you've got control. So in our work time, it's actually quite difficult to start scheduling things initially. What we find is we have a lot more flexibility to start building routines and building schedules in our early morning and our later evening when we're not at work. So in many ways, deep work actually starts not at work, but with yourself. And as you gradually build a morning and evening routine, you start to gain that almost acuity to your biorhythms, which then start to kind of activate you towards, okay, so if I can make, take the AM and PM bookend and start to build small changes there, then I can start to build changes in the workplace in the way that I work. And we need to almost start to get an understanding of what our rhythm is because not everyone is energized and rhythmed in the same way. And in the book, Carl goes for a number of philosophies and really it's they are a good framework for you to look at and think, and possibly that one, possibly bimodal, possibly monistic. And again, I would really suggest that you read the book because there's not much written around this at the moment and I, I would feel it's probably the standout book within this particular area but in so many ways he gives you a framework to work from but your rhythm is completely bio-individual to you and it's about starting to get the little frameworks in place so you can start to train your focus train your concentration I suppose the other thing that's really important to start is actually to start to dig a bit deeper with your own self-awareness and decide what's important to you. You know, what is your purpose and your mission? Like what are you trying what are you trying to achieve? Because when you can align into that, deep work becomes a lot easier because you're connected to it, you're aligned to it. It actually starts to feel like I'm happily give 60 minutes to this particular task because it's going to get me the progress that I need and I'm on the right path. It's quite difficult to work deeply when you're traveling in the opposite direction to the one that you want to go. And that resistance pulls you back. It pulls you back into the things that stop you from working deeply and it's not as easy to focus on something that you don't truly want inside. Like motivation is overrated in some aspects, yet to have true motivation, you need motive. You need a reason why. And that powerful why, that understanding, what's wildly important to you. And you'll st- if you start to resonate with that, you'll start to get that connection about why you're doing it. And then it becomes easier to implement it actually becomes easier to focus when we've got a target in mind. Think about focus for an archer. If he's got a target in front of him, he's aiming at something. But generally in our lives, the way that we live, we have a quiver full of arrows. We spend most of our days firing them all over the place. Not any particular target. And deep work is about defining that target, making sure our eyesight is clear enough to see it, and then sharpening our arrow and firing it and hitting it almost every time. 
And I think the final thing when we're starting to look at, you know, getting the basics down is starting to learn that you have to switch off, can't constantly be on. And again, society is constantly on now. The whole world is lit up 24 hours a day. And yet our bio rooms are not lit up 24 hours a day. So we actually need to start working deeply, but start to learn how to disconnect between tasks. So that's making sure that we don't continually be bombarded by stimuli and inputs when we're trying to recover. So that means you worked really hard for 60 minutes, but go and take 10 minutes to do something that's away from all the things that stimulate you. Reflect, go into your own world, have some minutes silence, walk, maybe even meditate, or even take a really short nap and start to build these things into your life so you're actually able to work in waves over the course of a day, switching on and off, because that's how you're able to then switch on more powerfully to work deeply and switch off more easily to recover, especially when you go to sleep, because sleep is massive when it comes to being able to work deeply. If you don't optimize your sleep, you will struggle incredibly to focus the next day. We all know this feeling, not had a good night's sleep. Try and keep your focus and concentration on a single task the day after. Your mind is flying in every single direction. Your emotional regulation is shot. Your hormonal regulation is taking you on a whole world of places that you don't want to go. So again, in some ways, it's really looking at starting small, starting to understand that we have to turn off, getting really clear on what you want, and understanding that your sleep, your nutrition, your movement, these fundamental drivers of your health affect your concentration and your ability to work. Wow, there's a whole lot in there to be able to unpack, and I don't think we have time to dive into all of that. But I am really curious, though, because one of the things that you talked about was establishing a morning routine. And that's something that I've struggled with trying to implement But I do know that when I do have, I don't necessarily plan out necessarily, but when I'm a little bit more strategic about what I'm doing in the morning, that I do have a better day. I'm able to be more productive, be able to have better focus. So can you delve in a little bit more into being able to establish a morning routine and maybe specifically what that might be able to look like? Yeah, so I think a big thing for many of us is we all have like a socially defined wake up time, whether it be for work for studies when our children wake us up and for a lot of people in the western world we actually wake up by an alarm being an intrusion the first thing that happens in our in our day is if you think about the word alarm it's never used in a really positive context it's quite a negative word whether it be fire alarm or panic alarm well that's for so many people the first thing that happens they get alarmed and then some people decide to press snooze And that's really just lying to your subconscious saying, I was going to get up at this time, but actually I'm just saying that I'm not actually keeping to my promise. So, so many people start the day on a negative frame. And if it's not that, they go, they wake up, roll over and look at the phone. So they're straight into other people's worlds, social media, negative news. They're looking at their work emails. All of a sudden, they're not reflecting on themselves. They've been drawn into other people's world straight away. So a big thing for me around getting the understanding that a morning routine can really generate positive momentum for you is ensuring that your morning is your morning. 
not somebody else's. So, for example, I wake up and I wash my face and I go and hydrate. Those are the first things that I do. And again, those kind of awaken my senses somewhat and get me into a place where I suddenly go and meditate. And I've built that now into a habit and I do it without really thinking about it. And yet what that does for me is it allows me to suddenly reflect and go into my own world. And really that's important because sometimes it's not comfortable to be in your own world. And yet that's really important when it comes to working deeply because you can't deeply work in other people's worlds. It requires you to be to be comfortable in your own world. So I've then over time built more habits on top, stacked them into my morning routine. So I meditate and then I do some exercise and then I listen to a positive podcast. This would be a great one. Listen to the success road, 10 minutes every day for a week and you'll have great insights to take forward. And then I do a little bit of reading and a little bit of journaling. And then I've had a good 45 minutes in my own world, redefining where I'm looking to go that day, my bigger picture, what I'm looking to achieve. I have an Ikigai card by the side of my bed. That's the first thing that I look at instead of my phone, a sentence that reminds me why I'm waking up that day and what I'm looking to achieve. And for different people, you want to look at what morning routine really works for you. We all have different circumstances. I wake up that bit earlier to get those 45 minutes before making my children's breakfast. Everyone is slightly different and some people might feel that meditation doesn't work for them. Maybe try silence, maybe try prayer, maybe try standing or yoga. There's so many different options, but the most important thing is if we're gonna learn to have a routine that sets us in a positive frame, get, gets us that momentum, we need to be able to reflect and be with ourselves because that is so vital to being able to work deeply later. And it gets us into a rhythm that really the first few things that you do in a day set the tone for the day. So if you are woken up by an alarm in a panic, in a daze, and then suddenly you've got people invading your space and then you look at the news and something really negative has happened very close to where you live. Are you going to expect to have a fruitful and positive day? No, because you've had negative reinforcement all morning. And then you're trying to really focus deeply at work. All that negativity is just sat cognitively in your brain, causing your levels of dissonance and fatigue. So morning routines are absolutely vital. And so many people say once they anchor into that, not only do they become happier and more productive, they actually become more creative, they become more engaged in what they're doing. And they just have more gratitude for the great things in life. They start to see the positives because they're being reflectful. They're actually able to look back on the past and detach some of that emotion from the failures and look why didn't, things didn't go the way that they did. And then take the lessons for the future. And that in itself is really powerful. And yet, so many people, research from the mobile phone companies themselves, they funded research to say that people who looked at the phone first thing in the morning were not as happy and not as productive. And they are willing to fund research that says that their devices are detrimental to humans because they're so confident that the behavioral hooks in there will still have you using them in the morning. Yeah, that's really interesting. I need to work on being able to establish that better. I try not to look at my phone, but it is a habit sometimes, at least within the first 
20, 30 minutes to look at my phone just to see. And so I know that can be difficult, too, because I know there's a lot of people. My wife is a person to where she uses her phone as an alarm. That can be a detriment because if your phone is on your alarm, then naturally the first thing you do is grab your phone because you got to turn your phone or got to turn the alarm off. Yep. But it makes it that much easier to just do a couple couple taps and then you're in Facebook or surfing the news. And so it's definitely something we have to really think about and be able to on purpose be able to put it to make a habit. And so definitely some good advice and a good thing to strive for. And so that would be a good challenge to be able to do that. Just be able to get a really good start to your day by not starting with negativity and things like that. I don't think we're going to be able to avoid negativity all day. That would be nice probably, but (laughs) that wouldn't, yeah, it wouldn't be possible, but at least get a more positive beginning to the day. I really like those. So I'm going to work on implementing those into my own life as well. Now, I know that a lot of these things that we've been talking about isn't necessarily easy. It's easy to talk about. It's easy to say. It's easy to be able to talk about the different possibilities and whatever. And But I know that you've had quite a bit of struggle, both physically and mentally, in your life. In fact, you told me that there was a time when you couldn't even walk. And so can you kind of share a little bit about the struggles that you've been through? And I think that will help us to be able to get a better idea and maybe inspiration or motivation potentially for doing this in our own life as well. Yeah. So, I mean, in so many ways, when you try to empower people and encourage people to start new habits and be positive, it, it can almost come across like, you know, you're the expert and, you know, you've done all this. But in reality, we're all continually learning and a lot of what I've kind of started to learn is through my own challenges. So when I was at university, I had some struggles around my own mental health and challenges around that. And see, when I was younger, I didn't have the emotional intelligence and the self-awareness to dig inside myself and understand who I was authentically. And I really struggled with the child to adult transition. And at university, I got into the second year and was enjoying myself, moved away from home had the autonomy and suddenly the freedom to do as I wanted and that was great initially but then I started to become a bit isolated I started to struggle with my studies and my own identity started to fall apart in some ways and I'd hit that first really big hole in the road and I didn't really know how to handle it and that led to me isolating myself in my university dorm for a few weeks missing exams and not going out and seeing anyone to the point where my parents actually then came and took me home. That was really the first time that I had a significant challenge in my life and I had to I had to come out of that and go home and reflect and try and build myself back up and start again. And that gave me an understanding that without your own self-awareness, it makes it very difficult to approach life challenges and really tackle them because you're more likely to step back and try to avoid them because you don't feel like you've got the tools or the understanding and again this was over 15 years ago now there wasn't the awareness around male mental health around the ability to communicate and I was trying to look for who I was to become as a man I was struggling to get inside myself I hadn't really had much in an example from my own father and society's mixed messages really just led me in a place where I didn't understand where I wanted to go And yet now looking back, I realize that actually you find your purpose and find who you are as a person, not by thinking or reading, but by going out there and seeing what resonates with you, 
what is on your frequency, what's not, what you enjoy, what you don't enjoy. And you really do find your purpose through action, not through thinking or reading or surmising or looking at the past, not in an in-depth way anyway. So I then managed to go back to university, finish and get a job, which was great. I was working to become a financial advisor, help people with their financial well-being, make sure that they were covered for the retirement and could live the life that they wanted. This was 2007. So after six months, straight into the economic crash, lost my professional training, they wouldn't fund it anymore. And then I was made redundant a week later and left with my career path in tatters, really not sure what direction to turn in. But again, I thought I need to take ownership over this. I need to make it happen for me. I can't rely on corporations to train me. I can't rely on them for a career. So that caused me to set up my own business and start doing my own qualifications, funding them myself so that nobody could take them away from me. And that accountability really drove me forward to start looking at ways to help other people and start to work in different industries, which really opened my eyes to the opportunities that were available. And in many ways, my life then went on from there. And over the course of the next five years, I got married, I bought my first house with my wife, I had a son, and life gradually from the outside started to look rosy. And then I've just turned 29, started to think, well, what do I want to do before I'm 30? My wife was pregnant with our daughter. And I was like, you know what, by the time I'm 30, I'm going to have to be sensible. And just a week after that, all of a sudden, my joints started to swell and I was left in hospital. Over the course of a week, went from fully mobile, fully independent, to stuck in hospital bed, not able to do basic things like shower myself and feed myself. And I was just like, whoa, because my immune system had attacked the connective tissue in my joints, confused and thinking it was an infection. So I was in a lot of pain and my joints were locked in place. And I was like, I don't really know what's going to happen. Firstly, I was in shock and I was like, I really don't know what's going on, but it's not great. And then it changed to frustration, despair, really. Like, I'm 29. I looked after myself. This doesn't seem very fair. Why me? And then came the grief and the and the and those feelings of, you know, darkness, to be honest. I was like... Well, I'm a man. I think, you know, I'm quite physical. I'm quite sporty. I'm athletic, but I'm not at the minute. I'm like, I can barely move. And that, that kind of grief hit me. And then I was like, I was struggling. And yet in that second week in hospital, I started to realize, because you get an awful lot of time to reflect when you can't move and you're struggling to sleep because you're in so much pain. And it just hit me. Just one day on the ward, lay there thinking, like, what's, what, what does my future hold? And then it just came into my mind, and I think this, this was a massive turning point for me. I just suddenly thought to myself, I've been walking around for 29 years, and not once have I ever been grateful for that. And it just sunk deeper into my mind, and then, I, then it expanded. And I thought, these people now, they're coming to show me, coming to help me do basic things. Have I been grateful for my family and friends who are now helping me recover? And I realised I'd taken them for granted. I hadn't been grateful like I should have been. And then it went even further from there and I started to think, okay, so I've been, I've grown up in the UK. I've had food and shelter all these years. I've had free education. 
I've had the freedom to set up a business, opportunities to work in different industries. I'm now getting free healthcare to help me get back on my feet. Why should I be ungrateful? I've had so much. And that just really then fueled me to say, okay, so I'm going to take ownership of my recovery. I'm going to be proactive and work hard to get back walking again. In so many ways, I decided that my own health outcomes, my identity was going to be, I'm walking again. So my actions became, everything you do is about getting back onto your feet. It doesn't matter how you feel, because you're not going to feel great most of the time. And there was lots of mornings, I was in a lot of pain, I was stiff, I was struggling, I was in walking rehab, I was in physio. It wasn't easy. And yet my daughter was born not long after I came out of hospital, and seeing her and realising She's going to gradually learn to walk. I'm going to learn to walk. We can go on this journey together, but I'm going to try and be walking before she's walking because I'm a competitive soul. And yeah, that's going to give me real power and reason to keep going. So I went through and after 11 months, I walked a mile unaided. And at that point, I felt like if I can do this, what else can I do? And then a few weeks later, my daughter started walking. And ever since then, we've walked together. And it's been really powerful. And that has become, in so many ways, the defining challenge in my life. Because I had to feel those negative emotions at the time. If you bottle those negative emotions up, they will come back later in your life much bigger and much more angry about the fact that you didn't let them come and go. We have that whole range of emotions for a reason. We've got to feel everything from the deepest despair to the blazing joy and everything in between. But what I actually did and looking back now is suffering is pain times resistance. And I decided not to keep suffering by resisting the pain. I decided to let the pain come and say, you know what, it's, it's mine, this condition it's mine, I'm going to own it. It's not going to define me, but it's always going to be with me for the rest of my life. But I'm in control of how I react to this. And I'm not going to lie here and suffer and hope the medication's going to fix me. I'm going to do everything I can to take it myself. And that's what I did. And I think that's a valuable lesson for anyone going through challenges. Going to be difficult, not going to be easy. But if you can be proactive and have that mindset where you're willing to go and push yourself outside your comfort zone you're not just gonna sit there and do what you feel decide who you want to be and start acting in that way today and you can turn difficult times that feel like a threat into an opportunity for growth into a challenge to step through that fear and keep pushing and again in the climate we've currently got so many people are having significant challenges And yet, as I quite often tell my corporate client, look at the economic crash that took my job, took my training. What was born? Uber and Airbnb were born. They went to disrupt massive traditional industries across the world. They were born in crisis. That's why they're so agile. That's why they're so innovative. That's why they're dynamic. Because humans are not great at preventing things, but we're very, very powerful pivot to change to evolve to morph when we're in a challenge when we're in a crisis when our backs are up against the walls yeah i think that's a great way to be able to end this episode so i want to thank you for taking the time to be with us and for sharing your story and all this advice and information about being able to go in the deep work as well and so thank you very much how can people be able to find out more about you yeah so the best place to go is essentialize.co.uk 
leechambers.org and at essentialized coach on instagram okay that sounds great i'm gonna have to make sure to have links in the show notes and if you want to get the show notes for today's episode you can either swipe over in your podcast app or you can go to successroadpodcast.com slash 413 and you can be able to get the show notes right there as well. Now, if you are listening to this, I would encourage you to share this with anyone that you think needs this information and be able to help yourself and them be able to get better. I look forward to talking with you in the very next episode. Thank you and God bless. Mm-hmm.